look at this passage, Lord, I pray that you would please uh, just be with the evening, Lord, to help me, uh, to not be distracted, help me, Lord, to say that, uh, have me to say, and allow this to be a time uh, where we can learn your word as we study the Bible. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray, amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Matthew chapter number 17, and I want to just give a little, little bit of a, of a disclaimer tonight. Uh, tonight's lesson, we're going to look at Matthew 17, and of course we finished up Matthew 16 last week, and we're going to spend uh, two weeks in Matthew 17, so we're not going to cover the entire chapter. But tonight's lesson is going to be more uh, educational than applicational. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, or practical. I, I usually try, I do my best to, to uh, preach very practical sermons, things that you can kind of take a hold of and use in your life, and uh, tonight's not going to be that. There's going to be one kind of practical point at the end, but for the most part, it's just going to be information, uh, explaining a few things to you from the Bible, giving you a few things to think about, and uh, so this will be a good sermon to maybe take notes or uh, be able to write down in your Bible there, and uh, I've been preaching a lot of practical sermons lately anyway. On Sunday morning, we talked about uh, God's financial advice, and the Sunday before that, we talked about being productive, so you've got enough practical uh, things, so we're just going to kind of dig into the Bible tonight and, and give you a few things, just kind of teach you a few things from this passage. Uh, to understand Matthew 17, uh, the, the, the passage really begins in, in Matthew 16, the last verse. If you look at verse 28 of Matthew 16, we, we find a, a verse that is often referenced. Matthew 16 and verse 28, the Bible says this, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here. Now this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking to his twelve disciples. And he says, there be, there, are, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now this is a verse that is often used by uh, people to mock at scripture or to uh, cause people to doubt scripture because they say, Jesus told his disciples uh, that there be some standing here which shall not taste of death, meaning they weren't going to die till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And they'll say, see, uh, Jesus said that, Je- that he was going to come back in his kingdom uh, during the lifetime of the disciples, and they'll say, Jesus has not yet come back, the disciples are all dead, the Bible's not true, there's a contradiction there. But you need to understand that the answer to the riddle of Matthew 16, 28 is found in Matthew chapter 17. Because in Matthew 16, 28, Jesus, the promise that he made was, he said, there be some standing here, talking to his disciples. Now, he didn't say all of them. He said, there'll be some standing here which shall not taste of death, meaning in your lifetime, before you die, uh, they will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In Matthew 17 and verse 1, you see the fulfillment of that uh, verse. Verse 1 says, and after six days. Okay, six days is definitely within their lifetime. Okay, they have not died yet. He says that after six days, Jesus taketh notice. He takes some of them, right? Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. So Jesus takes these three, and it's interesting, and I'm not going to go into it tonight, maybe one of these days we'll preach a sermon on it, but it's interesting. With Jesus, you have the multitudes, and then you have kind of the people that are following him, you know, you had the 70, but then you have that 12 of, of the apostles that followed Christ, and even within that 12, you have that inner core of the three, Peter, James, and John, that are always kind of singled out and always just a little closer. And, you know, we all ought to have that desire to be getting a little closer to Jesus Christ every, every day, but here, Jesus Jesus takes Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringing them up into a high mountain apart. Now, what we're reading is what's known as the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is a, a, a big uh, reference point in Scripture when Jesus, if you look at verse 2, the Bible says, uh, well, Jesus, well, in verse 1, he says he took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringing them up, up into a high mountain apart, verse 2, and was transfigured. The word transfigured means transformed. Okay, he was transfigured or transformed before them. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So Jesus' physical appearance changed to that of his glorified body. And you know, the Bible teaches, and you can study this out on your own some other time if you'd like, but the Bible teaches that right now you and I are in this mortal body, but one day when we die, we will be resurrected, and this mortal will put on immortality, and this corruptible will put on incorruptible. And we'll have a uh, glorified body like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you study it in Scripture, you see him after his resurrection. He's walking through walls and he's, uh, you know, uh, uh, moving.
moving quickly, uh, more than you and I could do, uh, traveling many, many miles in just uh, a matter of time, appearing in front of people and disappearing, and doing all sorts of things with this kind of new nifty body that he's been given, and you and I will have the same body one day in glory. But here, before his death and before his resurrection, he was transfigured in front of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they got to see him in that glorified body. And I want you to make note of this. It says that his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Look at verse uh, number uh, 3 there. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses, okay, from the Old Testament, and Elias. Elias is the prophet Elijah. Elias is just the New Testament way of spelling, the Greek way of spelling the name Elijah, talking with him. So here you got the Mount of Transfiguration. You have Peter, James, and John. You got the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified body. You have Moses, and you have uh, Elias or Elijah. Now, here's what you need to understand. Remember Jesus said, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death, but they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Jesus was referring to this Mount of Transfiguration, because in this Mount of Transfiguration, we are given a preview, if you will, of the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's basically showing them what the kingdom is going to be like. Now, I, I, I want to, I, I want you, to, I want to prove this to you from Scripture. Okay, so keep your finger there, in Matthew 17, and, and make note of this. Remember, I said to make note of this. It said, his face did shine as the sun. Do you see that, that word there, sun, S-U-N? Okay, keep your finger there in Matthew 17. Go to Malachi chapter 4, which is the uh, book right before the book of Matthew, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. And if I were you, I would stick my bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark in Malachi, because we're going to leave Malachi, but we're going to come back to it. Matthew chapter 4, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 4, and look at verse 2. For those of you that like to study scripture... When you are reading through the prophets and you see a reference made to the sun, S-U-N, and it's not the actual just physical sun that's up in the sky, you need to understand that's always a reference to the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you there in Malachi chapter 4? Look at verse 2. Malachi 4, 2, the Bible says, But unto you that fear my name shall, notice, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Now notice, we're not talking about the sun you know, out in the sky. We're talking about an individual because he's referred to as his. It says, healing in his wings and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves um, of the stall. So, the idea there is that even though the sun goes down, right now we're kind of in that in that time where the sun is O-N is not with us, but the Son, S-U-N, is going to come back, and the Lord Jesus Christ will come back again. So I want you to notice that S-U-N is always a reference. It says that the Son of Righteousness arise with with healings in His wings. And not only that, but throughout Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the Son, maybe in a different way than you would uh, think of. Go go to the book of Revelation. Now keep your place there in Malachi, put a bulletin or something, because we're going to come back to it. But go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, and look at verse number 16. Let me show you. This is a well-known passage. Most of you, I'm sure, know it, but uh, let me show it to you, maybe in a way you haven't thought of before. Revelation 22, and look at verse number 16. Revelation 22, and verse number 16. The Bible says, I, Jesus, so this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Notice, I am the root and the offspring of David. I, I love that phrase. I can't, I, I'm not talking about that, but I just can't read that without mentioning. Jesus says, I am the root, meaning the beginning, and the offspring, meaning the fruit of David. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. But notice this, and, this is Jesus, He says, and, I am, he's saying, the bright and the morning star. Do you see that Jesus called himself the morning star? Now you may may have never associated that name with the sun, but let me ask you a question. What is the only star that we see in the morning? It's the sun. What what star comes up in the morning? It's the sun. So here, he refers to himself as the morning star, which is really a reference to the S-U-N, like Malachi 4.2 said, that the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, arise with healing in his wings. And the Bible says that his face did shine as the sun, because he is the coming sun with healing in his wings. He is that morning star, or the star that you and I would see in the morning. Go to 2 Peter. You're there in Revelation? 
go back from the book of Revelation, you're going to go back past the book of Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and uh, 1st John, and then you'll find 2nd Peter. So not too far from Revelation, you got Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, and then Peter, and then also you got you got a, a bulletin or something in, in Malachi, but I want you to put something in 2nd Peter, because we're going to come back to 2nd Peter at the end of the lesson, okay? So when we come back to 2nd Peter, you know that we're almost done. 2nd Peter, look at verse 1 and verse 19. Let me show you another reference to this. 2nd Peter uh, 1, 19. 2nd Peter 1, 19. So back past the book of Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, and you got 2nd Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, notice this, okay, do you notice the dawn is a reference to the morning? Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Let me ask you a question. What is the only star that we see during the day? It's the sun. So these are all references to the S-U-N, who is a reference to the S-O-N. Do you understand that? In the prophecies, you have the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the S-O-N, represented by the S-U-N, or sometimes called the day star, which is the only star during the day is the sun that we see, or the morning star, which the only star in the morning uh, that we see is the sun. So I want you to understand, when we go back to Matthew 17, that reference to the fact that he shone as the sun allows us to realize that this is a second advent picture. This is a second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, picture. Now go back to Matthew 17. Look at verse 3. And let me and remember. Remember in, in Matthew sixteen twenty eight, he said, "There will be some standing here which will not uh, taste of death till they see the the, the coming kingdom." I'm, I'm going to misquote it. So let me just look at it. So they so they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Okay, this is a, the Mount of Transfiguration is a picture of the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you, you may ask, well, how does this picture the kingdom? Let me give you a few things to think about. Are you there in Matthew seventeen? Look at verse three. The Bible says, "And behold, there appeared unto them." Moses and Elias, or Elijah, uh, talking with him. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? You have the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified body. You have Moses and Elijah that have now appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you have Peter, James, and John. They're up on a mountain away from the multitude. This is all a picture of the coming kingdom that you and I will get to live in, known as the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, number one, we have Jesus. Who does he represent? Well, of course, he represents himself. In the coming kingdom, though, he will not be God in the flesh as he was for the 33 years he walked on this earth. He will be in his glorified body. So in order to make the picture work, he was transfigured into his glorified body. So we have Jesus, who represents himself, which is why he was transfigured, because in the kingdom he will be in that body of his glorification. So we have Jesus who represents himself. We have Moses. Who does Moses represent? Well, if you remember, Moses... Keep your finger there, Matthew. Go to Jude. Right before the book of Revelation, you got the book of Jude. Just go to Jude real quick, because I want to show you something. Uh, just to think about, this isn't really, uh, I, I want to make this clear, this isn't theology, or this isn't, this is just a thought for you. But Moses, who, do, who does Moses represent? Well, Moses represents believers who died before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses was a believer, and he died. Remember, and, and we know that he was dying uh, based off of, you know, the Bible tells us he died in the book, uh, in the books of Moses. But in Jude, if you look at verse 9, you know, there's only one chapter, verse 9. I want you to notice this, just kind of something interesting for you to think about. The Bible says, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the, notice this, body of Moses. You see how, how uh, Michael, the archangel, and uh, the devil were disputing or arguing or fighting about the body of Moses and does not bring against him a railing accusation but said the Lord rebuked me. Now, we don't really know when this took place. We don't know if this is something that happened before or after the Mount of Transfiguration. But it's interesting because you would need the body of Moses to make this uh, picture of the kingdom work because Moses would have to be in his body. It couldn't just be the spirit or the soul of Moses. It would have to be his body because in the kingdom we will be uh, in our bodily resurrection. So it's kind of interesting to think that maybe before the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus sends down uh, Michael the archangel and says, hey, go get me that body of Moses because 
because I'm going to need that for this uh, Mount of Transfiguration thing that I'm going to do with Peter, James, and John. It's kind of an interesting thought. I don't really know why else they would be disputing about that. You know, Satan's kind of fighting Moses in regards to that. And, you know, it's just saying, what, what are you doing? Why are you taking his body? The, the rapture hasn't happened yet. And, you know, uh, Michael the Archangel just says, hey, the Lord rebuke me. And God needs it. And that's it. You know, so just kind of an interesting thought there. So we have Jesus who represents himself. We have Moses... Probably, if Jude 1 9, if that event happened before the Mount of Transfiguration, and I'm not telling you it did, I'm just giving you something to think about. If it happened before, we have Moses in his body, which would be a representation of believers who died before the coming of Christ. And then we have Elijah. Okay, who does Elijah represent? Go to 2 Kings. We saw this a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, but let's look at it again. 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2. Now, okay. You got a bulletin or a bookmark or a, a ribbon or something in Malachi, right? And then you got something in Second Peter. But I'm going to ask you to put one more thing, okay, in Second Kings. So we're going to come back to Second Kings also, all right? So I'm just trying to help you out so we can do it quickly. Maybe you got to rip a bulletin or something, uh, or, or or use the, the the course of the week or something. But keep your place in Second Kings chapter two and notice something interesting about Elijah. Second Kings chapter two. I know you know this, but let's just look at it together. Second Kings chapter two. Look at verse number eleven. I know we saw a couple weeks ago. But let's look at it again. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 11. That was as and it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah remember this about Elijah? Elijah went up by a whirlwind in the heaven. Elijah never died physically. He was, his body was transported up to heaven. Okay, so we have Moses who represents believers who died and got their bodies later, maybe by Michael the archangel reunited him with the body. But then we have Elijah who represents, this is a picture of the rapture. He never died. He never experienced death. His body was carried up to heaven. So you say, well, what what is this picture of the, the coming kingdom? We have Jesus in his glorified body. He will be at the kingdom. We have believers who died before the coming of Christ. They will be in the kingdom. We have Elijah who represents those that were alive at his coming and were raptured in their bodies. They will be in the kingdom. We have Peter, James, and John. Who are they? Well, they're still alive and they're believers in Jesus Christ. And guess what? In the kingdom, there will be people who are mortals or in their mortal bodies who are believers in Jesus Christ. And they will be in that kingdom as well. And you know what else will be in that kingdom? Unbelievers. Which is the picture of the multitude down there. Because remember, in the kingdom, you have Gog and Magog, who are the nations of unbelievers who are in the kingdom, but they don't believe on Christ, and eventually they rise up with Satan against them. So we have this Mount Transfiguration. We have this picture of the second coming, or the kingdom, the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have Jesus in his glorified body. We have believers who have passed away before the coming of Christ. We have believers that were raptured, represented by Elijah. We have believers who are still alive, Peter, represented by Peter, James, and John. And we have the multitude down at the bottom of the hill, which were unbelievers. And all of those will be a part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see how when Matthew 16, 28, he says, there will be some standing here who will not you know, taste of death till they see the, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then in verse 1 of Matthew 17, Jesus gives us that preview of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me give you something else to think about. Go to Revelation chapter number 11. Revelation chapter number 11. Moses and Elijah being on the Mount of Transfiguration may, and again, I'm not... I'm not telling you this is for sure. I'm, I'm, I told you tonight I'm going to just give you things to think about. Maybe something for you to study out on your own. And uh, you can always uh, let me know what you find if you, if you find something else. I'm not telling you this is dogmatic. It's just something to think about. But Moses and Elijah appearing on the Mount of Transfiguration may be a hint that they will be the two witnesses of Revelation chapter number 11. Do you remember Revelation 11? How there are two witnesses that come down uh, and, and during the, the pouring out of God's wrath? Well, the fact that Moses and Elijah appear at this Mount of Transfiguration, probably in their bodies, like we already know, like we've already kind of talked about, this may be a, uh, uh, a hint or, or just kind of a little bit of a heads up that the two witnesses in Revelation 11 are Moses and Elijah. We don't know for sure that they are Moses and Elijah. 
I tend to believe they are, not just because they appear in the Mount of Transfiguration, but in Revelation chapter 11, we're given some similarities to Moses and Elijah. Are you there in Revelation 11? Look at verse 3. Let me just show you this, uh, just something like I said, for you to uh, kind of look at and study out on your own. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Remember, he sends out two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth and if any man will hurt them fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies and if any man will hurt them he must in this manner be killed now notice verse 6 okay there are some hints here that may be alluding to the fact that these are Moses and Elijah. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven. Remember Elijah prayed and shut heaven up that it did not rain for three years? Remember that was one of the things that Elijah is most known for? The Bible says these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of the prophecy. Okay, so that may be a hint that this is Elijah. But notice the second one. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. Does that sound like Moses? And to smite the earth with all plagues. Does that sound like Moses? Isn't that what Moses did? He turned the water into blood. He had plagues as often as they will. So, based on Revelation 11.3, and it seems like it's kind of given us a hint that these are prophets that lived and, and that did these things. They, they shut up heaven uh, and then they had the power uh, to turn water into blood and to smite the earth with all place. And the fact that the same two prophets appear in the Mount Transfiguration, it may be, uh, and I would probably tend to agree, that the two witnesses in Revelation 11 are going to be most enlightened. Now look, it, it, could, it could be someone else, okay? I mean, we don't know that. It could be a guy named Bill and Bob, okay? I mean, it could be somebody we don't know. But um, I tend to think that it might, it's probably going to be uh, these two men. Go back to Matthew 17. Uh, look at verse 4. Matthew 17, verse 4. Like I said, tonight is kind of giving you things to think about. Maybe uh, try to interest you to do some study on your own. Matthew 17, and verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles. The word tabernacles means like tent or like a, a, a temporary place to lodge in. He says, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Now Peter, what, what Peter, and Peter, you know, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. And Peter always has good intentions. He never really has a bad intention. But he, he, he does something here that kind of upsets God. And what he does is he says, let us make a tabernacle for thee, talking to Jesus, and one for Moses and one for Elias. And what Peter did was he... He, he, by his statement, kind of put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. And, and of course, we know that Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Elijah. He's better than any prophet. He's better than any angel. But Peter kind of equates Jesus to Moses and Elijah by saying, hey, let, let us make a tabernacle for you, and then we're going to make a tabernacle for these guys just like we would for you. And you can see how... God kind of quickly corrects that attitude. Look at verse 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, and I want you to make note of this, because we're going to come back to this at the end of the, of the sermon. Behold, a voice out of the cloud. So God verbally spoke to them from this cloud, which said, now notice what God says to them. He says, this is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. This God spoke to Peter and James and John. When, when Peter says, hey, let's make a tabernacle for, for Jesus and for Moses and for Elijah, and, and God says, hey, wait a minute. This Jesus, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. He said, don't... Don't, it's not about Moses, it's not about Elijah, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me uh, just give you a few things to think about. Go to Deuteronomy 18. This quote of, of God, when he says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, uh, seems to be a... Uh, kind of a splice of a few different quotes from scripture and some of you I think some of you like to study the Bible so let me just give this to you because I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 look at verse 15 okay Deuteronomy 18 and uh, look at verse 15 because Jesus God said this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear ye him and 
it seems to be that God is quoting himself from different references of scripture. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, notice this, the Bible says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, okay, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. So there's a prophecy of a future prophet coming, who God wants you to listen to, and he says, unto him ye shall hearken. So you see how that, unto him ye shall hearken, kind of goes with what God said when he said, hear ye him. Okay? Go to Isaiah 42. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 42. You're there in Deuteronomy, so just go, go to Isaiah. We're preaching through Isaiah on Sunday night, so you should be able to find it fairly quickly. Isaiah 42. Look at verse 1. Deuteronomy 18.15 said, Unto him ye shall hearken. And God said, Hear ye him, which kind of is the same principle there. Isaiah 42. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Isaiah 42.1 says this, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, notice this, in whom my soul delighted, in whom my soul delighted, I put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So that, in whom my soul delighted, is kind of that Old Testament version of what God said, in whom I am well pleased. So notice he said, he said, hear ye him, and in Deuteronomy 18, he talked about a coming prophet, and he said, unto him ye shall hearken. In Isaiah 42, he talks about his servant, who he will uphold, his elect, and he will put a spear on him, and he said, in whom I soul delighted, and then that fulfillment of that future servant who's coming is kind of fulfilled in that statement of God when he said, in whom I am well pleased. It's the same statement, just translated uh, into, into Greek from Hebrew or whatever. Look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Just real quickly, if you go back to Psalm, Psalm 2, and look at verse number 7. Psalm 2 and verse number 7. Psalm, Psalm 2 and verse 7. The Bible says, I will declare the decree. Psalm 2 and verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So here we have a prophecy of the fact that one day there was a son of God who was going to come, and he said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And obviously that Psalm 2-7, Thou art my son, goes with what, Je- what God said about Jesus, This is my beloved son. So it's interesting because in Deuteronomy, we learn about a future prophet who's going to come, and God says, Unto him you shall hearken. In Isaiah 42, we learn about a future servant who will come, his elect, who he will put his spirit on him, and he says, in whom my soul delighted, and then he says, I have a son coming, and he said, thou art my son. And all those kind of prophecies were fulfilled in that statement when Peter was equating Jesus to Elias and to Moses, and and God kind of corrects that in one statement by saying, hey listen, Jesus is better than any prophet, he said he's the prophet you've been waiting for, he's better than any man, he's a son, he said he's better than anyone you've ever known, he said it's not about Moses, it's not about Elijah. He said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And kind of fulfilled all those prophecies of this coming individual that was better than anyone else, the son of God. So it's just kind of an interesting uh, fulfillment there uh, of uh, prophecy. Go back to Matthew 17. Uh, look at verse 10. Let me give you something else to kind of think about. Something to study out on your own. I feel a little odd this uh, tonight because I'm not really giving you a lot of answers. I'm just kind of giving you things to consider. Uh, and here's one more thing that I don't really have an answer for. I just kind of something uh, for you to think about. Matthew 17, look at verse 10. And they come off the Mount of, Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says, And his disciples asked him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias? Now Elias was just up on the mount, right? So obviously he's on their mind, so they bring him up, you know, um, uh, and, and Elias is Elijah. He says, why, uh, and his disciples ask him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? Because there's a prophecy about the fact that Elijah, Elias, was supposed to come. So they ask Jesus, why do the, uh, the, the scribes say that Elias must first come? Look at verse 11. Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come. Now I want you to notice that word shall, okay? The word shall is telling us this is a future event. They said, well, you know, why do the, uh, why do the scribes say that Elias must first come? And Jesus responds to this, Elias truly shall first come. He's saying he's going to come in the future and restore all things. But notice verse 12, okay? But I say unto you that Elias 
is come. Okay, now, that is come is like past tense. First he says, Elias shall come, like in the future. And then he says, Elias is come, like it's already happened, is come already. And they knew him not, but have done unto them whatsoever they listed. Likewise, but also the Son of Man suffered them. Verse 13, Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So they said, you know, the scribes said that Elias shall come. Jesus says, Elias truly shall, future tense, come. Then he says, Elias is come already. And they understood that he spoke about John uh, the Baptist. So, here's what Jesus understand. Jesus talked about, and this is not something that you hear a lot about. In fact, I don't know that I've really heard. It's interesting because I hear... You know, I grew up a Baptist, I grew up in church my whole life, and I've heard a lot of preaching. And I hear preachers talk about the fact that Elias was to come before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's kind of a camp that believes that and says that was John the Baptist. And to that I would say, Amen, that's true. And then there's kind of this other camp that says, No, Elias comes before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll say, It wasn't John the Baptist, it's actually Elijah who's coming before the second coming. But it's funny because I've never really heard uh, anybody, I'm not saying that people don't teach us or preach us, I've just never heard it, that Elias was to come twice. But it seems to me like that's what Jesus is alluding to. Because he says, Elias truly shall come, and he says, but Elias is come already. So if, if Elijah was to come before the coming of Christ, you know, aren't there two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's the first advent and the second advent. The first coming and the second coming. So wouldn't it make sense that Elijah would come the first time before the first coming, and then also come the second time before the second coming? Just something uh, uh, to think about. And let me give you a few... Uh, a few things uh, to kind of prove that, okay? If you look at verse 12 again, Matthew 17, verse 12, but I say unto you that Elias is come already. Okay, that's past tense. And verse 13, then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Okay, go back to Malachi. Did you keep your place in Malachi? Go back to Malachi chapter 3. Now, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Once Malachi was done speaking, there was 400 years of silence, at least that's what we're told. And then the next person that comes on the scene is... You guessed it, John the Baptist, some of you guessed it. Malachi chapter 3, look at verse 1, okay? Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible gives us a prophecy of this man who was to come before the Messiah. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now I want you to make note of that phrase. He shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So the Bible prophesies that there's a messenger coming, and here's why he's coming, to prepare the way before me. And who's that me? God. And who's God? Jesus Christ. So there's a messenger coming who's going to prepare the way before God. Go back to Isaiah. I, I know you were just there and I didn't tell you to put something there, but I've been telling you to put something in so many places I just said forget it. Alright? Isaiah 40. Look at verse 3. Isaiah 40 and verse 3. You should be able to find Isaiah quickly. Isaiah 40 verse 3. Let me show you. So in Malachi, we're told about somebody who's going to come, a messenger is going to come, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now Isaiah also prophesied about this guy that would come. Isaiah 40 and verse 3, but in Isaiah 40, we're given another description that helps us identify him in the New Testament, okay? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, and I, I know tonight, I know usually I'm like screaming and yelling and preaching, okay, but this is actually like a legit Bible study, alright? Isaiah chapter 40, I'm in they're all Bible studies, but you know what I mean. Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse 3, okay? The Bible says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Now that ought to sound familiar to you already from the New Testament. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Now notice this. Does this sound familiar from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Remember that he was to prepare the way before me. Here he says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight uh, in the desert a highway for our God. And again, that's another verse proving that the guy that was coming after John the Baptist was not just a man, it was God. Okay, go back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Let's see these prophecies fulfilled. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, it said, He shall prepare the way before me. Isaiah 40 verse 3, it said, The voice of him that cried in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Matthew chapter number 1, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter number 11. 
And I'm, I'm sorry, good night. Matthew chapter 3. That's what I want you. Okay. Matthew chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Let's see this, these prophecies from Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40 and verse 3 uh, fulfilled. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, In those days came John the Baptist. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now notice verse 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah of the Old Testament, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So, we know that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of this messenger that was going to prepare the way before me. The voice of him that cried in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 40. We know that that was John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3. Now, how do we know, that, and, and if this is too complicated or boring to you, I apologize, but this is actually kind of interesting to me. How do we know that this guy was Elijah? Okay, here's how we know it because Jesus told us. Go to Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 13. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 13. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13. You're there in Matthew chapter 3. Look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13. The Bible says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Talk about John the Baptist. And then Jesus said this about John. He said, And if he will receive it. Now, it's interesting how God, Jesus says, because he doesn't say, You have to believe it, you have to receive it. He says, If you're ready for this, if you can take it, if you can understand it, he says, And if you will receive it, this is Elias, talking about Elijah, which was for to come. Okay? So John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 40 verse 3, Malachi 3 1, and then Jesus tells us that John was that man, or Matthew tells us John was that man, Jesus tells us that John was Elias. Now let me let me give you this, and I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a position on this, okay? It doesn't really uh, matter to me I, I, in a way. I, there's not enough scripture to go either way uh, for me, so do you have a position on this? I, I'm not trying to... Um, argue with you or whatever. But there are some believe, some that believe that John the Baptist was actually Elijah from the Old Testament. That it was actually Elijah who was brought back in a physical body. And then some people uh, believe that it wasn't really Elijah, but it was someone like Elijah. Now let me give you just kind of the, 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 the point of views that people give, and I don't really have a position. I don't, I don't know, to be honest with you. But some people say it was Elijah, because if you remember when Elijah, uh, I'm sorry, some people say it was John the Baptist, it was Elijah, because you remember when John the Baptist was in the womb. Remember when Jesus was in the womb, and John the Baptist, and, and Jesus kind of met while they were both in the womb. Remember, the Bible says that John the Baptist leaped in the womb, uh, and, and from the womb he was filled with the Holy Ghost. So the fact that this child was filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb, some people would take that to say, hey, this wasn't just a normal child, this guy already had the Holy Spirit with him from before he even got here. Now some people say, well that's reincarnation, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation, and, and you know, I, I don't call it reincarnation, but I will say this, Jesus Christ was in his physical body in the Old Testament. That is a fact. Melchizedek, and in different places, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's called a Christophany, and, uh, you know, for those of you who like those theological terms, and it's where the Lord Jesus Christ appeared in the Old Testament in his physical body, and then, of course, was in the womb of Mary and was born. So, you know, to say that someone in the Old Testament can't, you know, look, here's the thing, God can do whatever he wants, okay? If he wants to put someone back in the womb, you know, then, then that he can do what he wants. So, I don't have an issue with saying it was Elijah, but some people say that it wasn't Elijah, it was just uh, John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah, because there's something about the spirit of Elijah that's kind of interesting. Go back to 2 Kings. Did you give your place there? 2 Kings chapter number 2. Look at verse 9. Let me just show you something else to think about. <laughs> I'm just trying to confuse you tonight, I guess. 2 Kings chapter 2. Look at verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9. And just so you know, just because you know, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I got it all figured out either. Second Kings chapter two, 
in verse 9. I mean, I got it more figured out than you do. No, I'm just kidding. Second Kings chapter 2, look at verse 9. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 9, look what it says. Second Kings 2, 9, here we find a famous story of Elijah. Remember, uh, Elijah was getting ready to leave, and, well, let's just read it. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 9. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha. So remember, Elisha was uh, kind of his, his servant, the guy that Elijah was training, and he said, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. So Elijah says to Elisha, you know, what can I do for you before I go? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. So Elijah says to Elisha, what can I do for you before I leave? Elisha says, hey, you know what I want from you? I want your spirit, but I want a double portion of it. Verse 10. And he said, now that's a hard thing. Hey, that, that's good right there. When, when you pray, you got to ask for hard things. You know what I mean? And uh, he said, now ask, ask for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me, when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So, Elisha said, Elijah, who's one of the a great, you know, powerful man of God used throughout the Bible. And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah says to Elisha, if you see me when I leave, then you'll get a double portion of my spirit. Verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 11. And it came to pass as they... Uh, still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So Elisha was there when Elijah, so Elisha got his prayer request answered because he, because he saw him go up. Notice verse 12, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and rent them in two pieces, and he took up also the mantle of Elijah. Elijah kind of dropped his mantle, part of his clothing as he was going up, and Elisha grabbed that mantle. He took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. One of the miracles that Elijah had done was that he parted that Jordan River. So Elisha now goes back to that Jordan River with the mantle of Elijah, verse 14, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters, meaning he hit the waters, and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah. And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over, and when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, notice what they said about Elisha, when they saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. So, we have this story in the Old Testament where Elijah says, Elijah, what can I do for you before I die? Elijah says, I want to know a portion of the spirit. Elijah says, if you see me before, I, when, when I go, you'll get it. He saw him, and Elisha got a double portion of that spirit. And if you study out in scripture, it's interesting, Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah in the Bible. It's just the word of God is amazing like that. Now go back, go, go, go to the book of Luke. Okay, let me show you something interesting, okay? So we see that there's something interesting about the spirit of Elijah. Because Elisha got the spirit of Elijah. So in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, we're told something interesting again about the spirit of Elijah. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. We're almost done. We got 11 minutes and we'll, we'll be done. No problem. Luke chapter 1 verse 17. The Bible says, And he, referring to John the Baptist, shall go before him in the spirit and power of who? Elias. Who's Elijah? So here we have a reference to the fact that John the Baptist, like Elisha, had the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just and to make ready the people and uh, prepare for the Lord. So you see how there's evidence that, it, you know, people say, well, it wasn't John, John the Baptist wasn't Elijah, he just had the spirit of Elijah, like Elisha had the spirit of Elijah. That may be true, there's evidence in scripture about that. And some people say, well, no, it was actually... I don't like to use the word, but there was a reincarnation, or it was just a, a New Testament appearance of Elijah was this man, Elijah uh, was this man, John the Baptist. That may be true. I, to be honest with you, I don't have a position. I'm just giving you the verses so you can study it out on your own. When you figure it out, you write a book and let me know, and that'll be good. Okay, go back to uh, go back to Malachi. Let me show you something. Just one more thing. Okay, Malachi uh, chapter four. 
Because remember, we talked about the fact that I, I do believe that there was two comings to Elijah. There was the first coming, the first time that Jesus came, Elijah was to come and prepare the way for the Lord, and that was manifested in John the Baptist. Whether John the Baptist was actually Elijah from the Old Testament, or whether it was just a man similar to Elijah, like Elisha, who had the spirit of Elijah upon him, I don't know, but we know this, that John the Baptist for sure fulfilled those prophecies. And we saw that prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. But let me show you a different prophecy, Malachi chapter 4. First we saw Malachi 3.1, right? He shall prepare the way before me. But look at Malachi chapter 4. And people often confuse this prophecy, I'm going to show you right now, as the same prophecy of the same first coming of uh, John, but let me show you why I don't believe it is. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, now notice this, okay, before the coming of the, notice, great and dreadful day of the Lord. Do you see that? Now listen, that phrase, great and dreadful day of the Lord, is not a phrase that would be used of the first coming of Christ, it would be used of the second coming of Christ. The day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath, when God will come back. It wasn't when he came as a lamb, it's when he's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. Do you understand that? So I believe that, yeah, Elijah came the first time before the first coming, but I also believe that Elijah is coming again. The second time, before the second coming, before coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, okay, now, let's bring it all back together, go back to Matthew 17. Is that Elijah's ministry as one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11? Could be. Or is that a a different thing and Elijah's just coming on his own? I don't know. We'll have to find out. When we get there, some of you uh, will let you know, because you won't make it, but that's okay. Uh, Matthew 17, you're tired, or I'm not funny. Matthew 17, look at verse 1. Okay, let me show you one thing, and we're done. I gave you all, I gave you all sorts of things to think about, and um, let me just give you one kind of practical, because I do want to just give you one practical little lesson, and, and we'll be done, okay? Uh, Matthew 17, uh, look at verse number 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain. I want you to notice this word, apart. Do you see that word, apart? Peter, James, and John got to get alone with Jesus up on a high mountain by themselves, apart. Now notice, as a result, as a result of being able to see or being able to spend time with Jesus, not with the crowd, not during church, but they got alone with Jesus up on the mountain. As a result of that, look at verse 2, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as snow. Peter, James, and John got alone with Jesus, alone, apart, on a mountain. And as a result of the time that they spent alone with Jesus Christ, they got to see Jesus, and they got to know Jesus in a way that the other disciples and the multitudes did not get to see Him. And you need to understand this about Jesus, okay? I don't have time to go through all the references. Jesus is the Word. Christians who get alone with the Lord Jesus Christ... Christians who take this word, the Bible tells us the word is Jesus Christ. Christians who get alone by themselves in a mountain apart from the family, apart from the crowd, apart from the church service, they get to know Jesus in a way that is just different than other people get to see him. Peter, James, and John got to see a vision of a transfigured Lord. They saw him differently. They knew him differently. They understood him differently than the rest of you all got to see. Some of you, as we're going through that, you're thinking to yourself, man, I've read all these passages and I never put all those things together. But I'm here to tell you that there are some people that get along with God enough that they just see things differently. And that's not just for me, and that's not just for Peter, and that's not just for James or John, that's for everyone. Now here's what's interesting about that, okay? They saw him differently, but not only did they see him differently, skip down to verse 8. Remember Peter makes his dumb statement about the tabernacles, God speaks, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And notice the end result of this experience, Jesus on the mountaintop by themselves. They not only got to see Jesus differently than anyone else got to see Jesus, they saw him transfigured, they also saw him uniquely. Look at verse 8. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. 
That's the way the Christian life ought to be. There are Christians, and maybe some of you here tonight, are walking around and your eyes are on everything and everyone, and you're just looking, and you're looking at the bills, and you're looking at this, and you're looking at what the government's doing, and you're looking at all the different issues, and, and the economy, and your career, and your job. And there are some Christians who are just walking through life, and all they see is Jesus Christ alone. Say, so how do you get there when you get alone with Jesus up on the mountain? Now, you may be saying this. You're saying this, well, I don't get to get alone with Jesus physically like Peter, James, and John. But here's what's interesting about this whole story. Go to 2 Peter, chapter 1, and we're done. Remember I told you when we get back to 2 Peter, we're done? 2 Peter, chapter 1, look at verse 17. Peter actually writes to us about this event of the Mount of Transfiguration in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. Notice what he says, verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. Does this sound familiar? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? Matthew 17, 5. That's what Peter's referring to. Peter's referring to the fact that he said that he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Does it sound like Peter learned the lesson? Because remember, Peter's the one that said, Let us make three tabernacles for me and for Elias and Moses. And Jesus and God spoke, and, and Peter got that lesson that he received from God the Father, honor and glory upon Jesus alone, when there came such a voice to him from the essence of glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now look at verse 18. And this voice, it was an audible voice that Peter, James, and John heard, that Peter's referring to. And this voice, which came from heaven, we, talking about Peter, James, and John, we heard, he said, this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount, or in the mount of transfiguration. He says, I heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He said, we, Peter, James, and John heard it. But then notice, look at verse 19. Notice, he says, we. Now that we is not Peter, James, and John. That we is all of us, you and I. He says, we, Peter, James, and John, heard the voice of God when we were in the holy mount. We heard him say, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. But then in verse 19, he says this. He says, we, you and I, have also a more sure word of prophecy. Here's what he says. He says, you know, I heard God speak audibly when I was up on that mount with Jesus. But he said, you know what is more sure than that voice that I heard is this word of prophecy that we have. And Peter's saying, I heard God speak. But even more sure than that is this Bible that I got in my hand. Is this scripture that I have. He said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto do you, ye do well that ye take heed or give attention to, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And here's Peter saying. Peter is saying, Hey, listen, don't get all jealous because you don't get to be like Peter, James, and John, and you don't get to see Jesus physically, and you don't get to go up on that mountain. He said, because we all have an opportunity to get to know Jesus Christ better than I got to see him on that mount, because we have the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. And I get to spend more than three and a half years with him. I get to spend the rest of my life with him and all of eternity with him. But I get to spend more time with him than Peter did because every day I get the privilege to open up the Bible and read the Bible and get to spend time alone, figuratively, on a mountain, alone, with God. And I get to see him and know him in a way that other people just never will. Because we get the privilege to have this more sure word of prophecy. So here's a question I have for you. What are you doing with it? Don't answer out loud, but how's your Bible reading? How's, it, how's your Bible reading been this week? And you say, well, it's the first time I picked up the Bibles on Sunday. Why are you wasting your opportunity to get along with Jesus Christ? To get to see Him in a way that others never will. Transfigured in His glory. Like Isaiah said, high, holy, and lifted up. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear my Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study your word. And I know that we looked at a lot of reference and maybe cause more questions than answers, but Father, I pray that you would help us all Lord, to just get back to the basics. Talked about it on Sunday night. Just ask. Just pray. Just learn to get alone with God in prayer. And then Lord, tonight we learned about just getting alone with your Son, with His Word. Figuratively speaking, to get alone on a high mountain apart with God. 
and allow him to be transformed, allow us to be able to see him and only him, like the Peter, James, and John, they raised their eyes up, and Moses and Elias, and nobody was there anymore. They just saw Jesus. Lord, help us to live our lives in that way. Help us to be focused, Lord. Help us to uh, take advantage of the privilege that we have. This more sure word of prophecy. We have the opportunity to come to church on a Wednesday night and listen to the Bible be preached, and there's nothing more important than we can do with our lives than to do that. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us these scriptures. Thank you for preserving these texts for thousands of years. In your name, I pray. Amen.